Good morning, church. We've got a great passage today in 1 John chapter 2. It's a great reminder for this morning. Heads up, it is not PC. So if you all could get your Bibles out, that'd be great. If you do not have one, would you put your hands up? We have the ushers in the back that would love to get you one in your hand. If you do um, get one of the back Bibles, it's on page 878. So we are continuing in our series in 1 John today. And John is writing this book of this letter of 1 John to a small church that has just gone through a very painful experience. And this section would have been great encouragement to them in that day, reminding them of something they have already known. So again, we're at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, if you could look there with me, that would be great. And what it says, it says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, know that it is the last hour. The Antichrist, I can already hear you going, isn't that a little heavy handed this morning? And what is this, the Left Behind series? Is the rapture happened? We're all in trouble if the rapture's happened. So two weeks ago, Pastor Ty, he talked about loving your brother. Last week, Sean McDowell, he did a great job, talked about God's will, and I'm left with the Antichrist. So we kind of see like <laughs> where, where I am in the totem pole. But anyway, the Antichrist, we have this interesting relationship with the Antichrist. It's kind of like calling someone Hitler. Right, Because Hitler was the Antichrist. Or as far as I can remember, probably the first president I can really remember his administration was George W. Bush. And they called him the Antichrist. And then there's President Obama. And they called Obama the Antichrist. And I don't even want to get into what they've called Trump. Right? And so it's just, we have this weird relationship. It's, he's going to have the mark, on him, mark of the beast on himself on his forehead and his, his wrists, and he's going to want us to wear it. And there's wars and rumors of wars, and, and he's the man of lawlessness. And, and from any sci-fi thriller of the Antichrist, he's usually pasty white with red eyes and like a hood on, right? And you can see him coming from a mile away. But is that what it is? Is that what, who he is? No, I don't think so. And But... The Antichrist isn't even the main object that John is trying to get them to focus on. He's using that, saying the Antichrist hasn't come, but more importantly, it is the last hour. And as Christians, we need to act accordingly because Christ has come. He has given himself for you and for me, taken our burden of sin away from us. And now we need to fully expect that Christ is coming back. And so we haven't seen the Antichrist, but you also have seen Antichrists. And you're going, you, you have seen Antichrist. What does that mean? Does that mean like little mini-me Antichrists are running around scurrying about? No, that's not what John is saying. He's saying there are people, because of what Christ has done, there are people that are giving you resistance. And in their particular situation, in a church much like ours, people within the same pews disagreed about who Jesus was. In verse 26, John even says, they were intentional about deceiving you. Now this kind of resistance hits a little closer to home. Look at verse 19. He says, and they, being the many antichrists, went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not have, con they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not 
of us. And so they had this disagreement about who Jesus was and they resisted to change. They decided, you know what? We don't want to see Jesus in his being fully God and fully man. So we are going to separate. And they didn't just leave the church. They left the body of Christ. It wasn't church hopping. They left the faith completely. And what John is saying is their actions over time showed their true colors. Show what they truly believe, what they held to be true. Now, I don't know about you, but this passage doesn't allow us to just go around calling different people that disagree with us antichrists. And now some of you are going, you have not met my in-laws. And that's not what John is saying. But these men and women who left the church, they, again, they left the faith completely, not pointing towards Christ, but pointing away from him, trying to bring him down. But no matter the circumstances, church splits are hard. And I know even some of you in this room have been a part of that historically. And it is my prayer that God's grace has been able to be infused in that situation for you. And you've been able to offer and receive forgiveness. And the little church that John is writing to has gone exactly through this with the heartbreak and turmoil and the discouragement that they are feeling as their numbers have dwindled. And the people that they have fought for Christ in the trenches side by side are now gone. And hopefully, if you have gone through it, you hold on to Jesus tighter than ever. And this is exactly what John wants the Christians in that day to do. So again, it is the last hour, and there are people anti being against Christ. Not the Antichrist, but Antichrist. And then he focuses on the believers. Look at verse 20. He says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but you know it. And because no lie is from the truth. And so John, I'm sorry, I try to keep referencing him as Paul. It's John. John isn't trying to evangelize them. He knows where their heart is. He knows that they have heard the truth and now they know it. And because of that, they have offered their lives to Christ and they have been anointed in the Holy Spirit And this is something that took place at an event and then has ramifications for the rest of history. Much like my wedding day with Camden where there's great planning, right? We're picking out details, flowers, the dress, all these different things. And there's great anticipation. And on that day, we come together and we say our vows to one another and we are married. In this event, it has happened. And then from that point, for the rest of our lives, we're living those out. So what John is saying is you have heard and you know and you've been anointed and that happened and that will change the rest of your life. So both actions, again, they happened in the past and they, are, they have changed them who they are. They have acknowledged that Christ is ultimately supreme and divine. And I hope to put all of you in this category this morning because you have heard the truth and hopefully you've heard it and now you know it and you are living it out. So John has made it very clear. There are two types of people, two types of people. There are antichrists or people who are against Christ and there are pro-Christs. You are either with, without Christ or you are with him. There's no room in between. Either you're pushing against him or you're pushing with him and you don't have any other options. 
I mean, John, for, the, for our assurance, he, writing this letter to that church, he wants them to know what, who Christ is with full assurance of faith. He doesn't want them to have to question at all where they're standing with God. And so we have been stu- as we've been studying it, he has actually given us, through the letter, three tests, and we're going to cover the third one today. Historically, we've covered the first two. The first one is the moral test. Earlier on in chapter two, it says, if you love him, you will walk in his ways. And so your relationship with Christ will flow out of your actions. The second one is the social test, that if you are of the light, you will love your brother. Because there is no darkness in light. And lastly, it's the theological or doctrinal test it is, what do you do with Jesus? Who do you, according to Jesus' questions to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Look um, at verse 22. It says, who is the liar but he who denies Jesus that he is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And so if you accept the Son, Jesus Christ, you have the Father. And so for us on staff, it's been very helpful to when going through this book to think of it. Is this, is he talking about the moral test? Is he talking about the social test or even the theological test and the breakdown? So who do you say Jesus is? Is he who he said he was, the son of God? Or was he just a good teacher? Was he a lunatic? Was he a liar? I mean, you can try to ignore him, but what this is saying is you can't just be lukewarm with Jesus. About 10 or 12 years ago, these shirts became really popular with kind of a weird picture of Jesus holding his hands like this. And do you remember what it said? Jesus is my homeboy. And I can remember seeing that going, I don't really know what that means. Does that mean... (laughs) Does that mean that Christ is your, your Messiah, your King, your Savior? Or does that just mean that you're kind of cool with Jesus? I, which I don't even know that. So in my mind, is that pro-Christ or anti-Christ? I'm not quite sure. But you are in one of those camps. You either accept Christ for who he is on his terms or you're rejecting him going the other way. Jesus was very explicit in this. In John chapter 14, verse 6, this is what he says. He says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus wasn't just a good teacher, a good prophet, the most influential person in all of history. He was God come in human flesh, fully God and fully man. And this message isn't politically correct. You're not going to win any elections preaching this because all paths don't lead to heaven. Even though that is the message of our world that they want to be all inclusive, that you can do what you want and it leads to heaven. That's not what John and that's not what Jesus has said about himself. So we have been offered the truth. Jesus, the Son of God, incarnate, fully God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, our Savior who has felt the ties, the felt the push of sin, yet he is at the right hand of the Father for us. You're either for him or you're against him. So this doesn't mean that your friends and neighbors and family that aren't Christians 
are looking for the destruction of the world. That doesn't mean that they are looking to bring you down and put 666 across your forehead. What that means that every direction that they are pulling is not towards Christ. It's against him. Uh, my father, Grandpa Ralph, or my grandfather, Grandpa Ralph, is not a believer. And everything, and he actually prides himself in not giving unsolicited advice. You have to specifically ask him a question, and then he'll tell you what he thinks. He's a scientist, so he, was a, he has his doctor, doctorate in physics. And everything that he talks about or everything that we will ever communicate about, I'm going to try the English today, everything that he, try, he ever communicates about is never pro-Christ. It's never leading us to him. It's in another direction. And so anti-Christ is just leading you or leading someone else in another direction. It's against him, not for him. So you might be asking yourself, I work in a secular company with secular employees or coworkers, or I'm on the high school sports team and our goal is to win and it's not really to get in this, in the spiritualness. What, how does that lead? How does that play into my life? I would argue that all of those that are anointed in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, it does affect those different realms. That the way that you're going to work with your employees or coworkers or peers or even family, neighbors, is going to change based on your anointing. You're not going to be able to help it come out when you're talking to your sister or your boss or your neighbor. And it's going to bleed into everything because you are a Christian mother, not a Christian any mother. You are an a Christian worker, not just a Christian who happens to also work. It consumes everything. Uh, many times when someone's new around church or I just have a chance to get to know you, I'm always blown away by the different skill sets and talents our church has because I love to take them out to lunch, um, usually men, and take them out and just get to know them. And when any men get together, the first question that comes up probably in the first 30 seconds is what? What do you do? Right? And so after hearing about what this this man does for work and how he feeds his family, the next question that I love to ask, and it's very telling, is where is the friction between being a Christian and a doctor? Where is the rub between being a Christian and a real estate agent? Where is the rub between being a Christian and a financial advisor. Because in a secular world that has different ideas of what their goals of success are, there is always going to be friction. Uh, for several years, I had the opportunity to work for a construction company. And in there, there were lots of different ways that there were rubs. But it also didn't take very long till one of the coworkers, and I didn't do everything right, but till one of the coworkers came up to me and said, so why don't you cuss? To me, that's an open door. Thank you very much. But they will be watching you and how you work. And if you just go along with the status quo or what you say to be true, really it's into and infects every other part of your life because there always will be conflict. So these verses should be very clarifying for us that all who deny Jesus is antichrist. So Jesus also didn't mess around with this. Again, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. 
So this morning, are we with Jesus? Are we pro-Jesus? Are we against him? Are we anti-Jesus? So for the rest of this section, John then, he, he assumes yes, writing to his, this one church. So if yes, he answers this one question. The question is, as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, how do you live in the last hour? How do you live in the last days? As a, someone who calls upon Christ, how do you live out your faith when the rest of the world is going to destruction by their own circumstances and choosing? How do we live in a world that is fading away in the light of Jesus coming and living with him for all eternity? Because this is fantastic news. As Christians, we are on the tarmac ready to take off because eternity with God is a long time. And the world is coming to a crash landing. It is about to end. And we have the great news. So how do we live in the last hours as Christians? So there are a few things that is very clear in Scripture what not to do. First is not to just go and study Revelation and make your chart with your diagrams and red yarn and, and, and predict the date when Jesus is coming back. That's not, as Christians, what we're supposed to do. Second, we're not to become a, you know, a stockpiler of goods and ammunition and create our own arsenal and dig our bomb shelter underneath our houses for that day when Jesus comes back. That's not what we're supposed to do. And lastly, the one that's more, the most seducing to probably most of us in this room is to just forget about it, ignore it. We live in a beautiful place of Orange County, and you know what? This is on earth. This is pretty close to heaven. You got the beach right down the street, and you know what? Sometimes it's just easier to not think about it and enjoy the beach life instead of actually living like these are the last days. And so we are, we, are not we are not supposed to live that way. In apocalyptic literature like Revelation or the second half of Daniel, it was, it was written and given to us so that you would look for the future with the hope that we have in Jesus, with one eye towards Jesus and his second coming, and the second eye then to look at your situation now and how our hope in the future affects our day-to-day -day in the now. Much like an Olympic champion who is looking for the gold in four years, is motivated to win the medal, and with that motivation, he plans his training for today, for tomorrow, for next week, for next month. The hope of the future affects the now. And so as Christians, we look ahead. And so we have two ways that John is very explicit about how Christians live in the last days. First, we are to allow God's word to abide in us. We are to allow God's word to abide in our hearts. Second, we are to live out your anointing in the Holy Spirit. So first, let God's word abide in you. Uh, much like knowing the word of truth, the gospel, and be anointed, where that was an event that took place and that takes place for all Christians, this living out and abiding in God's word is something that's renewed, it's constant, it's continuous. And so look at verse 24 with me, where he says, Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So if God's word 
constantly is abiding in our hearts and our lives, then we not only will have the Son and the Father, we will have them for eternity because the prize isn't just living for eternity. The prize is living for eternity with God. And that is what abiding in God's word does for us. Paul, he was very explicit about this in Colossians 3, 16, where he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, I hope that the word, you love the word, you live the word, you pray the word, you memorize the word, and so it will dwell and abide in you richly. So we can be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ in the last hour by abiding in God's word. Secondly, we are to live out this anointing in the Holy Spirit. And again, this is as well something that's a constant process, something that we're continually working at and living each day in, day in, and day out. Look at verse 27. It says, but the anointing that you receive from him abides continually and dwells in you. So not something that just happened in the past and we forget about it, but something that is constantly taking off our old self and putting on our new self in the spirit. And the spirit will help us discern what is of God and what is not so that we will not be deceived when people are attempting to deceive us like it says in verse 26. So I know of this couple um, that they've been married 32 years. They just celebrated being married 32 years and they are the longest relationship in all of their family tree. They have, between the two of them, they have 16 grandparents. Think about that for a second. 16 grandparents. Their family has been marred by divorce, division, and anything that you can think of. The only thing that's, between, that's different between this gentleman and his wife is the power of the Holy Spirit working in them. Them live, abiding in God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit making their relationship work because over a hundred years, there no relationship has ever lasted. And that is just one example of the power of the Holy Spirit when it dwells inside of us. Paul, again, he was very explicit about this about um, in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Do not get drunk on wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so when we're filled with the Spirit, we can put our burdens on the Spirit because we can't do it ourselves. We are weak because every sentence that you lay when you read God's Word, the Holy Spirit is able to decipher that for you and how you should apply it to your lives because there are people that have doctorates in the Bible that are not Christians. And so this book, they, have, they heard it, but they do not know it or live it. And what John is saying is you need to not only know the word, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will then live the word. And the Spirit gives you eyes to see Jesus with greater clarity. It allows us to be convicted and discern the truth. It will pierce our hard hearts and make it more flesh. So abiding in the word leave, lives, makes us live a life in the Spirit. I don't know about you, but my heart naturally when I'm not abiding in God's word and living in his spirit, the weeds of my heart will always grow. And my heart will naturally be bent to the things that I like, things that I feel like I can do with my power, with my control. 
And what the Holy Spirit does is it's able to whack those weeds of our heart and able to direct us towards him to continue on looking in the hope that we have, that we hold, even when the rest of the world is shouting at us to go against Christ, to go the other directions. So how do Christians live in the last hour? They live a life in the spirit. So it's not antichrist against you. It's antichrist against Christ. You're either for Christ or against Christ. Christ. And living in these last days, we need to be in his word, abiding in his spirit. And if we do, John gives the picture of the greatest day. Look at verse 28. It says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears being Jesus, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. And so in Christ, when he brings in, ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, It will be for Christians the greatest day in all of history. And for anyone who is not of Christ, who is not pro-Christ, it will be the scariest day in all history. And so John is urging these people who are defeated at the moment to continue to abide in what they know to be true, reminding them of what has happened and to continue on. So on that day, it will be the greatest day they have ever seen. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the anointing of your spirit. I pray that we won't be deceived by the lies of this world, but hold on to the truths of Jesus, that we won't be deceived by the world which is passing away, but we will be resolved to abide in the eternal Son and the Father, that we won't be deceived by our wisdom, but we will hold on to your word And that lastly, we won't be deceived by the spirits of this world, but we will be abiding in your spirit, in your strength, because we cannot do it on our own. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.